ready for the word today. Open up your Bibles with me to Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1, uh, verse 1. I've got a lot of scripture today, more than, more than normal. Um, I'm getting some ringing up here, just FYI. Uh, Joel chapter 1, verse 1. I'll, I'm going to... Uh, I got a lot of reading, so I'm going to, I'm going to be uh, leading you, telling you where to go to, so I don't have to read all two chapters for you uh, today. Uh, but uh, today I'm speaking about in the zone, Joel chapter 1. I'll be going also to Joel chapter 2, in the zone. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Bethuel, the, uh, uh, is that hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children tell another generation about the chewing locust that the swarming locust has eaten, what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten, and what the crawling locust left the consuming locust has eaten. The field is wasted. The land mourns, for the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Verse 11, be ashamed, you farmers. Well, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field, it has perished. Verse 12, the vine is dried up, and the fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree, the, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field, they are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, to surrender your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people together, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and, children and nursing babies. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. Chapter 2, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Verse 25, so I will restore to you 
the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Joel chapter 2 verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterwards, somebody say afterward, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maid men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke let us pray Lord we thank you today for your goodness we thank you today for your mercy we thank you today Lord for your grace Lord I pray right now Lord that this word goes forth this morning and sets a fire in somebody's heart and in somebody's spirit today Lord we love you for everything I pray that all distractions would cease and our mind would be focused on you and it's in your name and the church said amen amen and amen uh, like a lot of second services I want you to help me preach today somebody say amen, amen. somebody say preach again amen. somebody say say that again bro Whatever you want to say, I want you to help me preach this thing today. I've been in church for the last five days, and I've been singing loud, I've been shouting loud, and my voice is filling it this morning, second service. So I need you to help me preach. So Somebody say, come on now. All right, you got it. Help me preach this thing today. The text that we are reading this morning uh, talks about in Joel... Uh, if you can, just turn the volume down. I'm sorry. It's, uh, I get, I'm getting a lot of echo in here. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to get through it. Thank you. Uh, the, the text that we are reading today comes from the very mouth of Joel in, chapter, uh, in the year 835 to 805 B.C. This was a time of, of, of incredible devastation. And along with the devastation came declaration and revelation. I said that it was not only a time of devastation, but it was also a time of revelation. Amen. That should be assuring to you today uh, because it tells us that wherever there is trouble, there can also be declaration from the Lord. Amen. That whenever there is trouble, God will still be speaking to his people. Amen and amen. Who's thankful for that today? And because of their rebellion, the people of God, the, the Jews uh, and the Israelites had found themselves in the middle of God's judgment. There was this infestation of locusts that I just read to you about. It had literally filled the land. It was literally consuming all of the vegetation. And because of that, it, it created this, this ripple effect. The cattle were in trouble. All of the, uh, the crops were uh, at a loss. And on top of this huge issue, famine and drought had begun to seize the land. Everything was dead or either on 
on its way to death. And as this historical moment was upon the people, there came this man named Joel. He had a he had fire uh, in his mouth. He had passion in his spirit, and a great anointing was upon him. Let me tell you today that whenever we find ourselves in similar historical moments, whenever we find ourselves uh, in, in national moments that it feels like everything is breaking down, when we find ourselves in lands of, of devastation, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God is still raising up men and women to be his mouthpiece and to speak the word and to share the truth. If you're thankful for people who will share the truth in the word, can you just say amen with me this morning? Whenever we find it, God will raise up men and women to be his mouthpiece. He will give them downloads from heaven. He will give them revelation. And Joel's name really encapsulated his message. Joel, meaning in the Hebrew, means that Yahweh is God. It means that God is God. It means that God is real. And in the middle of this turmoil, in the middle of this rebellion, in the midst of starvation and immorality, in the midst of this trouble, in the midst of idolatry, in the midst of a national spiritual depression and recession, Prophet Joel rose up for such a time as this, and God breathed upon him and gave him words, and his name alone was his, was his message. His name alone did the talking for him, because in the middle of chaos, he was walking around declaring God is God and God is still real. He was walking around saying God is God and God is still real. Let me tell you something. When you find yourself in a season of uncertainty, sometimes you need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, guess what? God is still God and God is still real. God is still God and he can still heal. He can still open doors. He can still break the bondage. God is God and God is still real. Everything that he spoke, he was declaring God is real. God wanted his people to know you may be in trouble, but I'm still real. You may be in a, a, a lifestyle of immorality, but I'm still here and I'm still real. Whatever you need, I can do it. You may have walked away from me, but guess what? I'm still God and I'm still here. You may have abandoned me, but I will never abandon you because I'm still God and I'm still here. You've got pain, but I'm still real. You've got sorrow, but I'm still real. You've been weeping, but I'm still real. Sometimes you don't know how real God is until you are in trouble yourself. God has to let some of you get in trouble just so you will experience him. He gives us opportunity every Sunday to experience him. He gives you, you have opportunities throughout the week to pray and to fast and to seek him. But sometimes he's got to let you get in a hole just to experience him. Sometimes it's trouble that shows you that God is real. The devil is so crazy because he thinks that trouble will hide God. But in reality, trouble will reveal God. 
Trouble will not only reveal God, but it will reveal who you really worship. Because when you get in trouble, the first people you call, that's probably who is the God of your life. How many times if you've ever been in trouble and the first thing that you do is you call on the name of the Lord? He, wherever you go, wherever you turn to, it shows where your allegiance is. It shows, it shows where your worship is. And the devil feels that if you are in trouble, it will hide God. But in reality, trouble reveals him. You may be in trouble today, but God wants you to know he's still God and he is still real. He's real enough to heal your body. He's real enough to restore your soul. He's real enough to redeem your child. Amen. He's real enough to bless your house. He's real enough to open the door. He's real enough to shift the season. And today, God wants to remind the church and to let the church know and the world know that no matter what is happening in the United States of America, no matter what it sounds like, no matter what it looks like, no matter who is in office, no matter how high gas may get, guess what? He is still God and he is still real. Can I get about 50 people that can testify with me today and say that God is still God and that he is still real? Come on, look at your neighbor and say he's still God. These people, they were in a crisis. Life was not only difficult, but now it had shifted to what now seemed impossible. Have you ever been in a season of life where it was difficult and you felt a shift, but it was not a good shift, and it went from difficult to now it's like, this is impossible. Anyone ever been there? Have you ever been in that moment when you said, I can't do this, it's impossible. I can't keep going, it's impossible. I made it over that last mountain, but I have no fight left in my spirit. It seems impossible. I thought I was going to die in the last drought. I thought I was going to die in the last battle, but I made it. But this drought, it just feels impossible. Joel looks at this situation and he surveys the people. He looks throughout the land and he hears the voice of God in his ear and in his spirit. And God puts words in his mouth for the nation. Now, more than ever, we need men and women of God that will rise up in these days of chaos and crisis and that will speak the word of the Lord. I said now more than ever, we need men and women that will rise up and will share. God is still God and God is still real. Now more than ever, I'm going to say it till it gets in your spirit. We need men and women of God that will rise up, that are not afraid and will say God is still God and God is still real. Can I get an amen this morning? See, Joel chapter 2 will preach by itself. And we love to quote it. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit. 
We like to talk about the former rain and the latter rain, and 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 and, and we like to talk about it. It makes great songs. It makes it makes Pentecostals happy. It's just easy to preach. But there is something that we are missing in the middle of it. There is a critical factor that we are not considering when talking about what it takes to get the outpouring of this rain. And in Joel chapter two verse twenty eight, it says. It shall come to pass afterward. <clears throat> Something has to happen before there is this outpouring in America. Something has to happen before there is this outpouring over sons and daughters. Something has to, it shall come to pass afterward. And let me tell you today that the good news is that there is a rain that is stored up in heaven and it is waiting for the nod to be released on earth. That's pretty quiet. To know there's a rain that's waiting to be released on your house. You're pretty quiet to know there's a rain in heaven that can pour out and save your children. As you're, you're pretty quiet this morning to know that there is a latter day rain that is in the prayer bowls of heaven and he is waiting to give the nod to it to turn out and bring revival to your home, bring revival to your city, bring revival to your nation this morning. There is an abundance of rain that's waiting to be poured out on planet earth and it will bring awakening and revival and restoration to our land. But there are so many people we aren't ready for what he wants to send. And by the, and by the time is now, the time is now, we've got to get ready. How do we get ready? How do we, what is the, what is the before to this afterward? How do we prepare you? How do we prepare for what he is about to do? Because if you want it, he will send it. If you're willing to get ready, he will pour it out. Joel said that there are some things that need to be done. And one of those things I want I really want to lay out to the church today is in Joel chapter 2 verse 17 where he said let the priest who ministered to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar between the porch and the altar Jesus is uh, excuse me Joel is instructing the priest to weep, to pray between the porch and the altar. You know what happens on front porches? Front porches is in the temple. The temple had a porch on it, and it was facing the altar. And people would literally, it was like a hangout place like porches in America are today. It's a place where you go sit and socialize. Uh, this, this porch was a place where Jews would come and they would stand and they would watch as people were going to the altar. These people that were standing on the porch usually were in sin and did not want to make the transition 
to go to the altar themselves. They were standing on the porch and they were watching. They were standing there with their baggage. They were standing there with their sins. They were standing there overwhelmed with life. They were standing there struggling as they looked toward the altar. We know what happens on front porches in the south, don't we? It's a place you sit and you rock or you swing. Also on porches is a place where you get caught up on everything that's happening in everybody's life. It's a place of gossip. Don't raise your hand if you've ever been on that porch. It's a place where you learn who's getting a divorce. It's a place where you're on the porch and you learn and you're telling everybody how, how wild everybody else's kids are. It's a place where you not only drink tea, but you spill the tea. But the altar was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where the blood would flow. It was a place where sins were forgiven. It was a place where you would take an offering and you would offer it up as a sacrifice to cover your failures and your sins. So over here, there are polar opposites. On one side, you have the porch. And on the other side, you have the altar. There was an area between the porch and the altar. It was like a weeping zone. It was it was literally, you would see priests there weeping and crying. Joel instructed the priest, you've got to get back into this area between where the sinners are and where the and, and, and where they can be forgiven. He said, You you priest, you've got to get back between the porch and the altar. You've got to get somewhere in there between the sin and Salvation. The priest would literally lay down in this area on their face and they would lay between the people and the Lord. They would lay between sin and salvation. They would lament throughout the day. That means that they would cry out for the lost. They would cry out for the sin of their nation. Can you catch this imagery here of the priest laying down between, between the porch and the altar? Let me remind you, because some of you are sitting here today saying, I thank God I'm not a priest. Lord, I thank you so much that he's the pastor and he needs to get out there and lay down and he's got to do it because I don't have the time but let me remind you what the word of God has called you. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, it says you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. So guess what? This word is for the church today. The church has got to get the church has got to get in position. It's time for the church to get between the porch and the altar. The church has got to be the divider. It's got to, no, 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 I'm sorry. You're not, you're not going anywhere until you get to the altar. No, no, you're not leaving this porch. You're not leaving this world until you get to the cross. God is calling the church into a position. You, you, it, it, it must become our new position. And when I say position, I'm not talking, a, I'm not talking about a title, but I'm talking about a posture. Your position needs to be somewhere between the porch and the altar. You are a priesthood, and we have got to learn to weep and to intercede, and when you get here, you are standing in the gap. Somewhere between the porch and the altar. Joel spoke of Plagues and locusts. He spoke of great troubles. We are in the midst of a plague of sin 
in America. I said, we are in the middle of a plague of sin in America. And it's time for us, the church, to get in the zone, to get into position. Is this ringing anybody's bell today? You got to get in position. Your pastor cannot hold it down by himself. The church, the worship team cannot hold it down by themselves. It takes the body of Christ getting in position in this end time that we are living in. We are in the midst of a plague of sin in America. And we've got to get in the zone. We've got to get in position. We've got to be a joy. And we've got to be out there telling people, God is still God and he is still real. He can heal you. He can save you. He sent his son for you. We've got to be the bridge between the porch of sin to the altar of salvation. There's nothing I love more than a great sermon. I mean, I, I know I'm weird. Sometimes I'd rather go and be in church than I'd rather be at the beach. Somebody felt that? I mean, if you want to pay for me to go to the beach, I'll go. But there's just sometimes I just want to go be in the house of the Lord and not have to worry about anything. The last four or five days I was up around Nashville. I felt like I was in heaven. I didn't have to preach. I didn't have to worry about the air. I didn't have to worry about somebody who was mad. I didn't care who was mad. It wasn't my church. I didn't care if it was too loud. I didn't care if the lights were too bright. No, no, it was just good. I love a great sermon. I also love new music that is released, and it puts a new song in our spirit, and it ignites something in us. But let me tell you something. A lot of pastors will not say this, but we need more than good sermons and new songs. In this day, we need some people that are willing to get in the zone. We need some zoners. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Zoners are people that are living it out seven days a week. People that know how to get in the middle and travail. There are too many, there are too many quitters in the church. He didn't talk to me today, I quit. He didn't smile at me today, I quit. I saw her in public, she didn't talk to me, I quit. There's too many quitters in the church. Too many people are like, I don't, I don't know about this faith stuff. I prayed for 10 minutes. I didn't see anything. We need some people in the church that will get in the middle and travail. I mean, I'm not moving until I see it. I'm not leaving this place until I hear it. I'm not going to stop praying until that child finds an altar. I'm not going to
going to stop praying until all of my family members are off of the porch and are in the altar. We need a generation that knows how to travail. They don't need a trophy. They don't need a title. They don't need a microphone. They just need a place, a prayer closet. People that know how to weep. People that are broken. Jeremiah 9, 1 just jumped down. He says, he said, oh, that my head were waters. And my eyes were like fountain of tears. That I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Throughout the week, he wasn't, he wasn't just broken on Sunday. But every day, he was feeling the burden of his people. He was feeling the weight of his nation so heavy that he would literally get in the middle between them and weep over the lost. He would intercede for them. Zoners are interceders. Nothing I love more than a, somebody that knows how to intercede. If you don't have an interceder in your corner, you need somebody praying for you. Can I get an amen? amen? You need somebody who's got your name on a list every day and they're calling out your name. Those are zoners. To, to, to intercede means literally you are intervening. It means you are, you are stepping between where they are headed. You are stopping. No, no, no. Get off that porch. You need to get to the. You are intervening. We need interceders. We need some intercession. People that are praying for those people on the porch. They don't need microphones. They don't need stage. They just need a prayer closet. Because when you pray for your nation, you are intervening for your nation. Why should you pray for people you didn't even vote for? It's your job. If you don't like them, they should really be on your prayer list. Makes sense, right? Stop cursing them and start praying for them. Why? Because we are to be the church in this hour. We are to be intervening, not complaining. Pastor, help me preach. He knows what it's like. Not bickering. No. I'm just going to sit here and pray until I see this thing come to pass. The reason we don't see miracles. Why? Because there's not enough people in the zone. But you don't understand. I've talked to them. I sent them an email with scripture. I sent them a meme. I tagged them in my daily post. They ain't changing, Pastor. Anybody ever been there? Let me tell you today. When you can't change somebody with the natural, you got to get down on your hands and your knees. 
when you can't shake that thing loose with the natural, when Dr. Phil can't break it for you, when Oprah can't cancel you out of it, you got to get down on your hands and your knees and you got to have an intervention with the Spirit. Let me tell you something. When you learn how to intervene in the Spirit, it goes beyond any natural substance in your life. When you learn how to get down and say, I'm going to travail. I don't care what happens. You can talk about me. You can write about me. You can post about me. I'm not moving until I see it come to pass. There's too many natural interventions in America and not enough spiritual interventions. There are some people in the house, you need an intervention. Anybody ever been there? You ever seen that television show? Some of y'all watching it. They show up to some crazy person's house and they're like, what's going on? They're like, we're here. We're shipping you off to camp. You need an intervention. Some of you need God to come up to your house and ship something out of your house. And you need to get in a Holy Spirit camp. And you need to get under the blood. And you need to let the Holy Ghost get in your house and get some stuff out of your house. And you need a spiritual cleansing today. You need a spiritual renovation today. We all have been in a place or will be in a place where we need a spiritual intervention. Rome, Georgia needs a spiritual intervention. Legacy needs an intervention. America needs an intervention. This world needs an intervention. And what we need really to make it happen, God has already, God has rain stored up. He's waiting for the people to get in the zone that are ready for the rain, to get in the zone between the sinners and the altar and it seems that Jeremiah had tried so many things till finally all he had left were his tears and his prayers. There are moments when we need to release some tears because brokenness on earth creates openness in heaven. You, 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 you need to get that. Your brokenness on earth creates an openness in heaven. We're, we're, here, we're here crying, Lord open a window. Open this. But what have you broke on earth to create an openness in heaven? If you want to open up heaven, you've got to break yourself here on earth. How do you break yourself? You humble yourself. Get on your knees. You don't worry about anybody thinks about you. I'm at that place. I don't care. God gave me an I don't care spirit. I don't care what you say about me. I don't care who talks about me anymore. Why? Because I know the truth. And it's the truth that can set you free. And those that are judged, judging and talking and texting and tweeting about me, emailing about me, guess what? They're in such a place of bondage that I pity the fool. <laughs> if you want to open up heaven, 
You've got to break yourself here on earth. Because there are those people on the porch. There are people in the church that say they want the rain, but they're not prepared for the rain. They, they, wanna, they want it, but they're, but they're not ready for it. God instructed them to weep. God, God, God knew that they needed a natural rain to fall to the ground. But he also knew that they had a natural trouble. But more than that, they, they, but more than they needed a natural rain, they needed a spiritual rain. They needed a, re, a rain of revival. Get this. Joel calls out to the farmers and the vine dressers. He calls out to the leaders in uh, chapter 1, verse 11. He said, be ashamed. He said, you should be ashamed for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field, it has perished. He said, the harvest is gone. You should be ashamed. The vines are dried up. The fig tree is withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree, the apple tree, all of the fields are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. He is saying, you let everything die because your, your focus was supposed to be on the harvest. How many Christians pray every day for the harvest? How many churches can say, our focus is the harvest? Not, not, not just have it printed on the wall or a business card or a motto, but you are literally praying for the harvest. You said you won't rain, but your focus is not on the harvest. And God is not going to send the rain until you are focused on the harvest. Why do you want rain if you're not focused on the harvest? What the, see, see. We, we, we get confused because we want the rain. See, God doesn't pour out his spirit in the church service just so you can dance. I like to dance. I lost about 10 pounds this last week. I was dancing so much and it was 105 in Nashville. I lost weight. God doesn't pour out his spirit so we can go home and say, Woo, that was a good service. You should have been there. That's not why. No, he pours out his spirit when we get together to empower us to leave this place and go back in the zone and tell people, God is still God and God is still real. That's why he pours his spirit out to empower us. Dancing, speaking in tongues, telling everybody how good it is. Those are, those are just side effects of it. But what he does, he, he, he's empowering the church so we can get in the middle and bridge the gap between the porch and the altar. If a church's focus is not on the harvest, they may want the rain, but they're not ready for the rain. We like to sing about it, but do you really... Do you really want to do what you've got to do to get the rain? To get the rain, you've got to go through some stuff. To get the rain, you've got to pray through some stuff. To get the rain as a church, it takes sacrifice. It takes, it, take, it, takes, it takes losing some of your friends because some of your friends cannot get in the zone with you. And I'm not going to let a friend keep me out of the zone. There's a lot of people say they want the rain. But we've become so politically driven that we can't even call a sin a sin anymore. 
We are so loud about our hot topics, but quiet as a mouse when it comes to the sin issues. That's that's the way I thought it was going to go over. We need some zoners that are ready for rain, and they're not only ready for it, they want it, and that will call out what needs to be called out in this hour. Let me tell you something. There are some people that you work with, they've been running things by you and sharing things with you, and guess what? You need to speak to them in truth and in love instead of being like, oh, yeah, that's cool. you got to get in the zone. You could be the revelation that sets them free. We need more zoners that are ready for it. Guess what? We need more pastors to get in the zone. We need more churches to get in the zone. But they can't even stand from their pulpit and call sin a sin. This is America. And they'll say, well... Well, let's just cast those demons out. Let's just, uh, I don't like it, what happened in, in Rome during Pride Month. We're just going to get together and we're going to run them out of there. We're going we're, we're, we're to run that spirit out of there. How can you fight demons if you can't even tell the saints the truth? How can you save a city if you can't even tell your own church the truth? More pastors have got to get, more churches have got to get in zone. There's no place for fear in the zone between the porch and the altar. There's no place. The church, like the farmers and the vine dressers, should be ashamed that we've lost sight of the harvest. We got our eye on the entertainment, but we've lost the harvest. We've got our eyes on programs, but we've lost sight of the harvest. Band, help me out. I'm closing with this. I want to share that in a recent Barna study, if you don't know anything about Barna, he's a, they do Christian, Christian research. He did a study with pastors, and it was measuring the biblical worldview of leaders of the church. And he defined a biblical worldview as believing that there is absolute truth and that such truth is defined by the Bible alone. And he gave these six areas of truth to the people that were in the survey, the pastors, the priests. Number one, Jesus lived a sinless life. Number two, God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing creator of the universe and still rules it today. Number three, that salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Number four, Satan is real. Number five, a Christian has a responsibility to share their faith with others. Number six, the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. This study, these, these six areas accumulated what he called a biblical world view and he shared it with these pastors and the percentage of pastors that agreed with these six statements and that 
the percentage of pastors in America that he says has a biblical worldview. Are you ready? 37% of pastors. The vine has dried up. The trees are withering. The harvest is wasting. How does this happen in a land that was founded on the word of the Lord? How, how, does, how does a church in Rome, Georgia, a Christian church, have a homosexual service and celebrating it where the pastor stands up and is preaching the gospel and says that Jesus was actually a homosexual? Look it up, my friend. Down the road. Christian church. How does this happen? It's because we have become more politically correct. We've cared more about being politically correct than we care about expanding the kingdom of God. We've lost our backbone. We can't stand anymore for that. How does this happen? Because we care more about America than we care about the kingdom. We care more about our political affiliation than we care about the kingdom. We will preach our political affiliation before we preach God is God and God is real. We will, we, we will die on our political stance. That will be the hill. But when it comes to, when it comes to the truth, I, I don't know if I can go there. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. How does this happen? It happens because we've removed ourselves. The church has got out of the zone and we're no longer between the porch and the altar. But now we've conformed and we've drifted to the porch. We've shifted to the porch. Why? And now, and now here we are. Here we are. We've shifted and we're, and now why? Because it's just easier to be there. It's easier to stand on the porch in this year than it is to stand for the truth today. It's easier to be on the porch with everybody else and say, I love you. I just accept you. Yes, yes, come as you are. You can come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. And we've preached come as you are for years. And I understand it. But when you come as you are, you can't say as you are. And now the world thinks, I can just do whatever I want to. I can be whatever I, if I feel like this today, I can do it. If I feel like that tomorrow, I can be it. The devil is a liar. And here we are, we're just over here because we don't want to stand on the truth. Why? Because my biggest tithe payer may leave. I don't serve a tithe payer. I serve, I say, I serve Jehovah Jireh, the provider. I don't care about it anymore. The church has got to get in the zone. The church has got to get on her knees and declare, God is still God and God is still real. We're not conforming. We're not moving. We need the rain. And before it can rain, we've got to get in the zone. Stand with me this morning. Joel chapter 2. 
23. He said, Be glad then, your children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and now he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. There's a rain that's coming when you get in the zone. It's a promise. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat. What is that? It's a harvest. There's coming an abundance of wheat. There's coming an abundance of harvest for the church that is in the middle and says, we're not moving from the word. I'm not moving from the, I know the truth and I'm not moving from it. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat. The vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Somebody say overflow, overflow, overflow. See, I don't know about you, but I want to walk in an overflow. I don't want to just be happy way there. I don't want to be filled up, but I want what is inside of me to be spilling out on people around me. I want my children's children to fill it. I want generations to fill it. When I'm dead and gone, I want my children to tell my great-great-grandchildren about what their great-great-grandfather preached and how people came to know him because he was a man of the word and he would not sit. He would not, he would not bow to Baal, but he kept praying and he kept seeing it and because of his prayer and because of the fire in his belly now now look what the Lord has done is anybody with me this morning I want an overflow and to get in an overflow you've got to get in the zone the zone between sin the altar and when the church gets there we are bridging the lost to the cross Lord I'm praying for a generation of people that know how to intercede We need some people that know how to intercede. Can I get an amen? We've lost the place of intercession. We know how to play, pray for immediate needs and things like that. But the intercessors, the people that hunger down said, I'm not going anywhere until I see it. Lord, Come on, can you just raise your hands with me this morning?